have a, I have a little friend with me here. Um, it's been a while since I've been up on stage. I took a little bit of time off to welcome this little guy into the world. You say hi. You say anything? Say hi. Oh, you can try to eat it. <laughs> this is our uh, fourth baby, final baby, permanent. Not happening, there's no extra maybe. He was the great surprised gift that we got and no more. Um, but this is Shia and he is six months old and man, this guy is our greatest blessing. Just, he's wonderful and sweet, but wanted to show, I've had a few people ask, where have you been? And I don't think everyone realized I had a little baby and wanted to enjoy some time at home just being a mom. So. This is, this is why I've been gone. But welcome, if you want, our little Shia. I didn't think I should keep him up here the whole time because you wouldn't listen to me. And I have good stuff for you this morning. He tried to take the attention. Uh, we are currently in the middle of a series right now called The Way Back to God. And we've been do, uh, going through the scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And if you have been gone or you've had COVID over the last few weeks or whatever it has, and you have missed a few of the messages, Pastor John has been on fire. <laughs> has he not, right? I like this crowd this morning. This feels good. It's good to be back up here. But please go back and listen to them. Last week he talked about that whole idea of healing their land. And um, it was good. And also, can we just celebrate right now that it is the end of our two-week fast? Did you fast? We're going to go and celebrate and just in belief that God has good things this year. 2022 is going to be a good year. And it feels, though, to me that the enemy has tried in every way possible to stop that. He has inside of our staff, inside of this church, with all these things along the way in personal life. But you know what? God is greater than all those things. And if God has his mind set on great things, the enemy can't do anything about it. So have hope this morning. Have hope that whatever you're going through, this year is supposed to be good. God has good for you. And God has good for this church. And he wants to do amazing things. So have that hope and have that faith that he's going to do that. Today I want to talk about the whole idea inside this scripture about seek my face. That we would seek his face. And as, as I, I was praying for this and preparing for this message, the, the normal way you would approach it of, well, if I, if I seek him, you know, if I pray and if I, if I try to see what he's doing, I, I, I didn't get a lot on that. But the Lord really showed me this different aspect of seeking his face, this different way of looking at the scripture of how to seek his face and, and how to do that and, and what um, we can learn from someone in the Bible, Peter. Peter, I love Peter. I love the, the, the bold-faced Peter, the guy who messes up all along the way, right? He just continually just makes mistakes, cuts off a guy's ear, and Jesus has to go, no, Peter, that's no, wrong, wrong time, wrong thing. I've already warned you what's going to happen. I'm not sure. It just continually. But the thing I love about Peter is he's continually running toward Jesus, 
He's continually trying to find, God, I may not do this right in Jesus. I may mess up the whole way down to you. I may deny you and, and I, may, I may do all these things wrong, but I'm not going to stop running after you. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let my imperfections keep me from running after who you are and from trying to find the thing that you're called me to do. And we pick up the scripture in Matthew 14, 22. We see Peter doing exactly this. And the story starts like this. Right away, Yeshua, right, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. He's just done this wonderful, amazing thing. And so he says, I'll send them away. You all go, right? Those his closest friends, go to the boat. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the hillside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long way from land, tossed around by the waves, for the wind was against it. Right? So there's this storm that's already happening inside of it. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! Isn't that so interesting, right? They've just watched all these miracles that Jesus has done, and instantaneously, flesh reappears. Right? Surely it must be that. That's the more likely scenario, is that it's a ghost. Not that it's Jesus. Not that it's the Messiah. It's a ghost. I just think that's so funny. But he says this, and they cry out in fear. But immediately Yeshua spoke to them, saying, Take courage. I am. I use this scripture because, or this version, because it says, I am, right? Moses walks by a burning bush, and what does Jesus, what does God describe himself as? I am. And in that sentence, it encapsulates everything that they need. I am. I am the one you're searching for. I am the one you are needing. I am the one that fulfills all your desires. I am. Don't be afraid. And the one who answers, right, is Peter. And answering Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replies and says, come. So Peter, he gets out of the boat and walked on water to Yeshua. But here's what Peter sees, right? So he's looking and his gaze is upon Jesus. But as he's looking, he begins to move his gaze to something else. Pay attention to this word, but seeing the wind, right? It's, he doesn't feel the wind. It says he sees. He can see the storm being tossed to and fro. And because of that, he becomes terrified. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Master, save me. Immediately, Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him. And he said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, You really are Ben Elohim. This Ben Elohim is a reference back to the Old Testament, the prophecy that says the Messiah will come and he will be the one to calm the wind and the storms. And so they see this miracle happen and all of a sudden they, they realize they have another recognition. The more and more, you know, how much proof did these disciples need? Continually Jesus reveals like from the get-go, this is who I am. And yet every, every step along the way they're like, oh wow, you really are that guy. Wow, they're like shocked by this. 
You know, he's walking on water in the middle of the storm, and that's not the thing that convinces them. It's that once he's in the boat and can calm the storm, they're like, you know what, I believe you now. But I think there's something really important we can pull out of this story and something we can learn about seeing Jesus and seeking his face in the middle of what's going on around us. Because I think right now there's, there's trials and tribulations surrounding, right? In the last two years, can you just raise your hand? Have you been through something in the last two years in a personal way? Right? Not even necessarily just COVID-related, but we, I, there's a shaking going on. I mean, the Bible tells us about this. He's going to shake everything that can be shaken so that what remains, right? And I, in my own personal life, I, I, feel, I have been shaken. It has, it has been a up and down last few years. And, and the, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but then you go to someone, you're like, okay, like, I, I need you to encourage me in this. I need you to be there. And they're like, I got nothing for you. I'm in the same place. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm just going to go back to my house. Never mind. Right? But there's this thing that's happening. This discouragement. This shaking. This, uh, the enemy is on the prowl. The enemy is seeking those who he can devour. And I think the way we prevent ourselves from being devoured is we keep our eyes on the king. Because what happens to Peter is the second, not hours later, the second he takes his eyes off of Messiah, off of Yeshua, off of the way, he loses his way. So I think we can learn something. And the first thing that we can take out of this story is, number one, storms are inevitable. It's not a matter of if something is going to happen. It is always going to be a matter of when something is is going to happen. And does that mean we live our lives in fear? Absolutely not. Right? We don't keep, you know, ready for the next bad thing. But I think we need to be prepared for when the attack comes, for when the storms come. Because Matthew 14, 24 says this, but the boat was already a long way from land, tossed around by the waves, for the wind was against it. The storm was already happening when Jesus walks onto the water. The storm is already going on. The storm is already there. And the question then is, what are you going to do inside of the storm? How are you going to handle the storm when it comes? Will you be tossed to and fro? Are you going to be one that just survives? I just want to get through it. I just want to survive this moment. And I have been there. I understand that. Right? The long days that all you can do is just get to bedtime. The moments of life where all you want to do is get to that night so you can sleep and find rest from the thing. And then the enemy likes to come during that too and then steal us of that rest also. As a pastor here, 
I get to talk to a lot of bit different people, and, and JJ, my husband, gets to talk to a lot of different people, and, and there, there really is something true. There's this spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety that is going around right now. And living in this hardship, it just can, does it feel like it's just one thing after the other, right? Sometimes, I, I, was, I was describing it to JJ and I said, it feels like sometimes your head just gets shoved down and enough to pull it up for a breath of air to just get ripped right back down under the waves. But here's the hope that we can have that God wants to use. Now, the storms are inevitable. We live in a fallen world and we have an enemy who absolutely hates us and he does want to devour us. But that doesn't, shouldn't leave us hopeless because there is a hope in the middle of all of it. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. My fellow believers. So who is he talking to? He's talking to us. Right? This is an encouragement to you and to me because the, the storms are inevitable. You know, a couple years ago, I sat down with my dad and had the conversation of, hey, I don't know if I want to keep doing ministry because it's really hard. <laughs> I think I would like just that easy kind of lifestyle, right? Like I just wake up, have a good day, hang out with my kids, just chill, right? Just chill. <laughs> and he said something so true and so profound and yet so simple, but church, it rains on the just and the unjust. And just because you choose to serve Jesus, yes, there will be trials, but thank God that you have a hope in the middle of your storm. Thank God that in the middle of what you're going through and in the season that our world is in, you can wake up with the hope-filled heart that God has something for you and God has something for this world. And we have to hold on to that. We are called to bring light to this world. And the best time to bring light to a world is when it's really dark. is when it's really scary and when it's really hard. So it says this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties. You in that place? When it seems as though not just one difficulty, but difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. Sometimes we forget that there's nothing new under the sun. There's not a season that hasn't already been here on earth. And the things that we face, those that wrote the Bible, this is, this is how you know it's God-inspired. Because look, this is as relevant today as it was when it was written. See it as an, inv- an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. That's the hope of God, right? That when you are facing difficulty after difficulty, that you can see the greatest joy possible. And I know that's true because joy is not an emotion. It's a spirit we carry with us. It's a fruit of the spirit. It is something that we, are, that we can receive and that we can walk in regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation. I've shared this before, but, but right before my Aunt Brenda died, 
I would go and I, I, she, she was unable to leave the house and walk in her last few weeks of life. And so I would go and I would visit her with my, at the time I just had my two little boys and they'd draw her pictures and we'd go up to her room and we'd just lay in bed with her. And you know, every time I went over there, I had this expectation that I was going to meet this really sad, heartbroken person. And yes, did she face trials? And yes, did she experience the humanness of all of us? Absolutely. But every time, church, I walked into that room, the joy that was on her was unexplainable. It was something that was contagious. Like, I went every time to minister to her, and without fail, every time she ministered to me. in the middle of her hardest season, in the middle of the worst circumstance, on her last days, this woman was so full of joy. Because she understood and she had this, that in the middle of it, God can bring the greatest experience of joy that you can have. Spirits are contagious. And so when we walk in fear... And when we walk in those things, it's amazing. Have you ever walked into a room and you felt fine and the second you walked into it and there was tension, you suddenly felt tense? That's not just emotion. There's a spirit there. There's a stronghold that the enemy has. And yet what God is telling us and God is saying to us is what we're called to do is bring the spirit of joy when we walk into a room. To bring a spirit of hope to those who don't have hope. The greatest hope we can have is that God reigns supreme and that whatever's going to happen, he already knows. He already has you and he has good for you. And then the scripture in verse 3 says this, For you know that when your faith is tested, your faith is going to be tested. Peter's sitting in the boat And his faith, there's a moment of testing that's about to happen for him. And you know what? Good on Peter for being the only one willing to get out of the boat. We look at this story and and there's almost like a chastisement against Peter of, Peter, you, you, you messed up. Peter was the only one who walked on water that day. He had enough faith to at least to get out of the boat. But there's a testing that comes. But when this testing comes and your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. God wants us to be a long goal type of people. He wants you not to be able to be a sprinter. He wants the endurance kind of run out of you. You willing to run the marathon or just the 100-meter dash? I've been running. I'm training for a half marathon right now, which is pretty great. Six months after having a baby. I feel pretty proud of myself. Um, But right when I started running, so I took some time off, like how old's my oldest? I took six years off of running. 
to uh, have children. <laughs> um, but while, so I, I'm like, okay, I'm getting, I'm going to get back into running. I want to be here a long time. I want to take care of my kids. And so part of that is taking care of my body. So I've started running. And the first time I jumped on my treadmill, you always think, oh, that looks so cool when people are doing it. And for me, like, it's also, it's about the get up. You know, I always have to buy new clothes when I'm going to go running because it's so much about that. I get the new shoes. I have about 10 pairs of running shoes that have been worn for about a mile each, but I have a lot of them. I look really cool. You know, I show up and people think, oh, she can run. Look at those new shoes she has on. <laughs> but I get on my treadmill and I'm about dead 15 minutes into the run, right? Like I'm dying and I, I'm, I think I'm never going to do this again. The second it gets hard in the middle of a run, it's really easy to press the stop button, jump off the treadmill, and never think about it again. Until the year later, right, when suddenly it's January again and you're inspired again to get new running shoes and to jump back on that treadmill. I think a lot of times this is how we treat Christianity and our, our faith and our walk with God. We walk with him, but the second he goes, it's time to pick up the pace. We're going to start a run here. We're going to start this endurance. I'm, you're going to start training. We go, oh, whoa, I'll see you in a year. I'm going to check out. Go watch some Netflix. Eat some popcorn. I'll wear my running shoes, but, you know. I'll claim I'm a crit. I'll, I'll claim it. I got the shoes on. I got the look. But inside, I'm not trained for this. We do this. And so I, 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 had, I have dedicated that I'm not going to do that this time. And you know what's really amazing? The more you run, the better you get at it. Shocker, I know. But the more you walk with Jesus, the more you run with him, the more you allow him to test your faith and to stretch you, the easier it becomes. And then he goes, okay, it's time for something else. I have more for you. I have more. You were faithful with a little, so let me give you a little more. And don't worry, it may be hard at the beginning, but you can do this. The Bible tells us he'll never put you past anything you're not capable of going through and doing, right? And if he thinks you can do it, you should feel pretty proud of yourself that you can get through it then. He has a faith inside that you can get through this, that you can run this race, that you do have the endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release, listen to this, perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. So yes, the enemy wants to pull you down and wants to begin to get you to sink. But if you allow yourself to keep your eyes on Jesus in the middle of it and continue to run after him, what he has at the end of it is perfection in every part of your being so that nothing is missing and nothing is lacking. And you should want that so much more than the easy road. So much more than the comfortability of sitting on your couch and laying down. Because now what I find in running is it's this amazing thing that I jump off the treadmill and I'm running five or six miles and it's no big deal when a month ago I was running 15 minutes and it about killed me. It's amazing when you allow your body to be stretched, when you allow your spirit to be stretched, what you're capable of doing.
He has great things for you. He has great things and you are capable of great things. But the question is, are you willing to be stretched inside of the storm and the hurt and the pain and the muscle pulling that's happening in the middle of it? It's your choice. That part is on you, right? His part is to do the, the miraculous, to show up, to, do, to be who he is. But your part is to say yes and to continue to keep running and keeping your eyes on him to seek his face. The second thing we learn from Peter in this storm is this. Jesus is always going to be with you in that storm. So yeah, the storms may come and they may shake you and they may be hard and you may be sitting here and it's your hardest day and it took everything inside of you to get out of bed this morning. And to be honest, you're probably not alone. There's probably a lot of you that each day is a work to get out of bed. And you turn on your TV and all you listen to is the hopelessness And you go through the motions and you continue, but there's this hopeless feeling that's going on. But I want to remind you, you're not alone where you're at. Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes, right, it feels like the crickets are chirping and you're just thinking, God, where are you? What are you doing? But he's there. Matthew 14, 24, or Matt, sorry, Matthew 14, 25, now on the fourth watch of the night, right? The storm's already happening. It's already going on. Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. He comes to them walking on the sea. There's a storm and who shows up? Jesus. I've been reading with my kids uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and there, the oldest one, he's almost seven, he gets it and he can track. And the bribery of, we'll let you watch the movies after we read the books, really sets us up for success. My four-year-old has no clue what's going on. He just sits there and I'll ask him questions and he goes, Aslan. Like, that's it. And the only reason he knows that is because his middle name is Aslan. So, like, he has no context to anything happening in the books. He's like, I need water, and, like, runs away. And then it's, it's, it's amazing. He's just like whatever Big Brother says, though. And then our oldest will quiz him. Did you listen tonight? Did you, do you know what's going on? No. Not at all. But that's okay, right? Because somewhere, subconsciously, what we're delivering to him is getting to the heart. Maybe God, I, I, nothing's too small for God to use. But we've been reading The Horse and His Boy. We just finished it. My husband just told me that's one of the worst books. I was like, oh, it is not. It's a little dry. It is. It's a little slow compared to coming right out of the line, which in the wardrobe. But I love it. And there's this moment. It's about this little boy who has just the most unfortunate series of events that happen over and over and over in his life. And so he's, he's again, he has to be the one to go and warn King Loon that, that the enemy is about to come. And, and so they're like, do you know how to ride? He goes, yeah. But he doesn't know how to ride because the horse that he's been riding up to this point was a talking horse and he just did all, he just did it all. So he has no clue how to actually do anything. And he somehow, again, gets separated from the king and his army. And so he's walking along this path and he 
he is all of a sudden feeling very sorry for himself because he's had it, right? And he really has. I mean, this little boy has gone through a lot up until this point, more than you and I have gone through for sure. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so we pick up the story. So something's walking alongside him. He's alone on this path. So he told how he had never known, okay? So he goes, I'm the most unfortunate person in the whole world. And this unknown figure is sitting next to him and says, well, tell me about it. So he told how he had never known his real father or mother and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and all their dangers in Tashban and all his, his night among the tombs and how the beast howled at him in the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Erebus. And also how very long it was since he had had anything to eat. And this large voice responds back to him and says, I do not call you unfortunate. And Shasta says, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two lions the first night and there was only one, but he was swift afoot. How do you know? I was the lion. And then Aslan tells him this. And Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing. And the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man wakeful at midnight to receive you. And I bring that up. To point out, I'm crying as I'm reading this to my kids who have absolutely no clue why I'm crying. Because I've realized how many times in my life have I looked at my circumstance and my waves and the wind and the trial that I'm facing and I've blamed God. God, you could have stepped in. You could have saved me. You could have made this so much more different than what it is. Why? Why are you forcing me to go through this? Why are you forcing this upon me? Where are you? Where are you? I'm the most unlucky person in the whole world, and you're just standing by watching me. And I read this and I think, my gosh, when I stand before him, how many times is he going to point out to me that he was the lion who stood beside me and directed my path and saved me from a years of heartache doing this thing and protected me when I could have been in this situation and walked beside me when I was going through this? He was the lion. He's not abandoned us. 
I know sometimes, especially lately, it feels like that. Where are you? What are you doing in this world right now, God? But your faith has to be greater than that. Your relationship with him has to be more intimate than that. To hold on to that. Because even when we can't see him, right? Here's the thing. When the disciples, it's late, it's 3 a.m., they think, when, when Jesus walks on water. And so they can't fully see him. They can't make him out. And yet he's still there. And our responsibility is to try to find that, to try to watch for him, because it's so much easier when our eyes are on him to continue forward. Does it negate the pain? Does it, does it take away what's happening around us? No. But it gives us hope for what he has in front of us. To keep our eyes, to seek his face in what's going on. And then the last thing that I think we can pull out of the scripture in relationship to seeking his face is this. And if you learn one thing or hear one thing today, hold on to this. It's easy to seek, sink, when our eyes turn away from him. It's so easy to sink. Matthew 14, 28, answering, Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. There is always an invitation of, of beckoning to us. Come. Come. You're tired. You're worn out. Come to me. You're scared? You're not sure what's going on? Come to me. You're burdened with worry? You're afraid of what's going to happen? Come to me. You're excited? You're full of faith? You're ready to take it on? Come to me. Come. Come. My hand is always stretched out to you. Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water to go to Yeshua. He's literally doing it, right? He's already walking on water. He's already doing the thing that he is afraid to do. He steps out of the boat and he's already walking on water. But the thing that keeps him walking on water is he's looking at the person who's allowing him to walk on water. This isn't of his own accord. This isn't because he's something special. The only reason Peter's the one walking on water is because Peter was the one to have enough faith to walk on water. But then this, but seeing the wind, he became terrified. Seeing the wind, he became terrified. The second we begin to move our gaze away from the one who calls us, we will become terrified. The things God has called us to are terrifying. The world can be terrifying, but his face is warm and it's inviting and is calling you forward. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Master, save me. And immediately, Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him. I 
I love that because it always reminds me, even when I mess up the most, he's always right there to grab me, to pull me back up from my sinking self. But then this, and he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've always read that and had the interpretation that Jesus is saying, why did you doubt that you couldn't walk on water? Why did you doubt? But this time, God revealed and showed me something else that I think is really powerful. That when Jesus asks Peter, why did you doubt? He's not asking him, why did you doubt whether or not you could do this? He's asking him directly, why did you doubt me? And church, here's the thing. This is all of our struggle. This goes back to the garden. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt what I said? Why did you doubt what I've already spoken to you? Jesus already told him, yeah, you can do this, come. Adam and Eve already were told, don't do this. It doesn't help you. It's not going to bring you life. And here's the thing. If you don't keep your focus continually on seeking his face, doubt will come in and doubt destroys everything. Because to have this relationship with God requires faith. And so what the enemy, of course, what he wants to bring in and what he wants to cause and and the chaos that ensues is doubt. The doubt that you can do this, the doubt that did God really say this? So I want to close um, my message with a a story in my own life of, of having to come to Jesus, if you will, with this doubt. So that little sweet boy, Shia, that was up here with me. Um, the day I found out, he, he really was our, he was a, our pleasant surprise. He was not, um, I, I hate when people say, oh, you were unexpected or, you know, you, you were the, the kind of like the thought that you weren't wanted. And I never, that's not true. He was planned. He just wasn't our plan. It's true. He was planned. And God wanted him here. And the second I found out that he was coming, oh, my heart attached. Because I really did want one more and JJ didn't. So God must love me more. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting, I can remember it. I'm sitting in this room. And I, I was going through this season of, if you're a parent, it's really hard right now raising kids in this world, isn't it? It's really scary. Like, how do you keep them sheltered? How do you, what schools do you let them go to? What's cool? What are they going to teach them at school? Are they going to keep their innocence? How do you protect that, but yet let them be a light in this world? God, I know you have a call in their life, but I'm terrified to let them go. What if something happens? What if something tells them something? What if a lie is planted and I'm not even aware of the lie? And I'm like struggling, this paralyzing fear. Because if there's one thing I love in this whole, like trusting, it's, uh, trusting God with my life, I, for the most part, I think I've learned a lot of that. Keeping your eyes on Jesus and not on your children, it's a whole nother 
level of faith. And so I'm struggling through this and going through this and just terrified. Like I have to keep them all in my arms because if I let them go for even a second, maybe this world, right? Maybe a storm will come. I don't want a storm to come in their life. I'll take it all. I'll hold them through the storm. And Jesus keeps beckoning me. They're mine. They're mine. So I'm sitting in my room and I'm like overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, there's another one that I'm gonna be so afraid for. God has too much to bear, which it is too much to bear. That wasn't my burden to bear. And he speaks this word to me and he tells me, my sweet daughter, I can like audibly, not audibly, but almost audibly, so clearly hear his voice tell me, my hand of protection is on your children. And if they're in my hands, nothing can grab them. So I hear that and I'm like, okay, okay. (laughs) But then there's a testing that comes with that for me. So the day uh, Shia was born, I had really easy deliveries up until the day he was born. And it was a super easy, pregnancy like and I did not have a lot of easy pregnancies with the others but it was easy and it was pleasant and and the Lord restored this joy that had been taken in a lot of my other pregnancies with him and so I I I show up at the hospital and from the second I get there I had a dream the night before and it was this like hooded figure it was just it set me off on the wrong foot and so I show up at the hospital and from the second I get there chaos ensues like small stuff it starts like a small stuff they the the nurse you know you're not going to have a good IV when they tell you sometimes I have to get someone else to come and help me do this (laughs) if I can't do this I'll get someone else and I already know you're you're not going to be able to do this (laughs) so she tries to get an IV in me five times it takes like an hour and I'm just like, I'm ready to meet this baby. We didn't find out what, if it was going to be a boy or a girl. So I'm like, let's get this going. This is my fourth. It's going to be out in two hours, I'm thinking. <laughs> you should just not plan things. I've just given up on plans at this point, right? Just all of it. COVID has just changed plans. Just don't plan. Just show up. That's all I think. Just show up. <laughs> Zero expectation. And so they keeps going like this. They think I have really low blood pressure. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, you might have preeclampsia. No, I don't have preeclampsia. I was just stabbed five times. I'm hurting. <laughs> but the second I hear that, fear enters my, in me. Like, I, 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 I don't do good with stuff like that. I, <laughs> I instantly attach onto the fear. And I'm just like, what? What's going on? And I'm just stressed and just stressed. And just more and more things keep happening. And then all of a sudden... My little stinker decides he, I was uh, fully in labor, like fully in labor, uh, probably an hour or two away from having him. And he decided he wasn't coming out. So what he did is he took his arms and pushed himself out of coming out and back up into my ribs, like literally said, I'm not going to do this, pushed himself back up and then crossed his arms so he couldn't come back down. I'm not a big person. That's not, nothing's going to happen at that point. 
And so the doctor comes in, the nurse comes in, because she's like, huh, his heart rate was down here, and now it's all the way up in my ribs. She goes, I've not seen that happen. I go, that's useful, thank you. So then she goes and gets my doctor, who's been a doctor for 40 years, and he's great. He delivered my other children, and he goes, huh, I've never seen this happen. I'm like, what kind of child is this going to be? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Strong-willed much. (laughs) I'm, like, terrified to me. I'm like, what? And so um, they're trying to find his heart rate. Because they think, well, maybe he flipped. No, he just literally decided, I'm comfortable. I'm good. Like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in here, Mom. You feed me. I have nothing I need. I have everything I want right inside here. Uh, but that wasn't an option at that point. I was uncomfortable. And so they're trying to figure out where his heart rate's at. And we're watching it, all of us on the monitor. And the, the doctor's like, okay, well, let's, you know, pick up your Pitocin and maybe maybe we'll encourage him to come out. And he turns to walk out of the room. And all of a sudden, his heart rate's super strong, 155, 155. And we all, he, he turns around because it starts dropping and it's 120, 90, 50, beep. And this little boy's gone. And so they're hitting the buttons. Oh, there's a, there are more buttons in a hospital room than I knew about. And there's a lot more nurses than you know are there. And so they're taking me out of this room. They're not, they, in, in the middle of that, they are not explaining anything to you either. And because it's such an emergency situation and it's COVID, I just have my mom there and I have JJ there and they say, no one can come. And that's all I hear. And so they're, they're saying, we, we think you're bleeding out. We think the baby's dying and you might be dying too. And they're asking me, like, do you have a will? Like all this stuff. They thought my um, uterus had ruptured and it's really, really dangerous, obviously. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I'm alone. And I'm just like, I need my husband. I need my husband. And they're like, I'm sorry, he can't come back. And there's just, I'm in the OR room. And I'm like, why did you do this? This wasn't what I wanted. I would have been fine, God. Like this wasn't it. And I can like see him in the room with me. And he reminds me I'd forgotten and he brings me back to the day I found out about Shia. Shia means gift from God. And he tells me, what was my promise to you? Because whatever the circumstances going on around you, my promise is greater than the circumstance. I am bigger than the circumstance. So keep your eyes on me. You're not alone. And I have this baby. And I see him. I see him reach down and touch me. And so they're trying to hook me up to the monitors to see if they can find any, anything. Because they're terrified. Not only, right, are they going to lose him, but it's been a few minutes since we've seen a, a heartbeat. What, what kind of brain damage has this caused to my little boy? Like, what's going to happen? And they plug me up. And all of a sudden, his heart rate's back, 155. And the doctor goes like this again. Okay, now I have really, truly never in my entire time delivering babies seen this happen. He goes, if you come back to this room, you are having a surgery. And I didn't have to have a surgery. I was fine. He goes, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, I have no answer for you. I go, yeah, I have the answer, God. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. 
And sometimes we try to run after those things. We're trying to find, right, the peace, and we're trying to find the hope, and we're trying to find the thing and the solution. Your solution to your storm is to seek Him, to find Him in the middle of it, and you get everything else that comes with finding Him. And I had a moment, right? I could have chosen, and it was, it was a fight after that. It was after I come back to the room, they had to stop my labor. I'm like, we gotta, we gotta stop this. So they take me off of everything. They're like, okay, it's time to start again. So they put me back on Pitocin, and the, the nurse lets the Pitocin pour on the floor for two hours. So even more extent, mm-hmm. yeah, I said, do I get that money back? Does the insurance cover that? It was just one of those days. So even after, even after his heart rate, because then it starts dipping again. And that fear, all that thing, it's easy to start to look at the storm. It's easy to start to see. And I have to go, no, no, God, you promised me this. Where are you? I'm going to keep my eyes on you because you promised me. And if you promise me, I know you're a promise keeper. I know it. So my faith is going to rise above even though it's hard. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's okay to be in that place, but find him in that place. Find him in that place. So Father, I pray right now that our eyes are open to find you. And that today, if you're in that place, you're like, you've been tossed to and fro from the wind and you feel like this is hard to find. Where are you, God? Where are you? Would you raise your hand for me right now? Yep, all over. I see you, see you, yeah. God, I pray right now that you would make yourself known. That even though you're there and even though you're in it, God, would you reveal yourself in it? That one touch and one glance from you, God, oh, it readjusts us. It sets us right on the path again. God, will we be a church, not just an individual, but a church? that sets our eyes on you, that aligns our focus to you, Jesus. May we have hope today, Lord. In your name, amen.